Hey, and welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here to join us. We hope that this podcast inspires you to live life both for God and your city. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all of our most recent episodes. And remember to leave us a five-star rating. Enjoy the message. Today, uh, we are dealing with the question, why do some Christians support worldly things? Why do some Christians support worldly things? With this question was thoughts about abortion, um, drunkenness, sexuality. There were like a few things listed and then et cetera. So uh, that was the question there. And then in that, there's a word that's a, it's like Christianese, worldly. I and mean, that's like Christians use this word. I don't know that people outside the church use it, but it's, it's the idea that Christians would support things that are outside of faith in Christ, things that are incompatible uh, with following Jesus or things that seem not to square with the scriptures. So the question is, why do some Christians support worldly things? Here's the answer in one word, and then I'm gonna spend the rest of the message unpacking this. The word is syncretism, syncretism. It's a big word, kind of. Uh, Say it with me, syncretism. One more time, syncretism. Syncretism is uh, the reconciliation or the union of irreconcilable values or or beliefs, principles. It's a fusion of dis- differing systems of belief. It's, it's taking like oil and water and trying to put them together, syncretism. So when you think of syncretism, you could think of synchronizing your watch. It's when you synchronize the culture with the scriptures, you bring them together. Now this shouldn't be um, mistaken for contextualization. We, as gospel people, are called to contextualize the gospel. We see Paul at Mars Hill, standing in Mars Hill, with a temple behind him at the Areopagus there in Athens, and he is quoting pagan philosophers to prove the existence of God. And he said, in fact, over my shoulder here in this temple, there is a a monument to the unknown God. And Paul said, and I know who that is. His name is is Jesus. That's contextualization. That's not syncretism. Contextualization is when we use the culture to advance the gospel. Syncretism is when we allow the culture to change the gospel. Does that make sense? Contextualism, let me me say it like this. Is anybody, Spanish is your first language. Spanish is your first language. Raise your hand. Anybody here? Okay. Anybody that... um, Southern is your first language, right? You're like, you better redneck recognize, you know. <laughs> if you want to survive in South Alabama, you got to know how to say y'all and all y'all and your mom and them, right? <laughs> Jesus in John chapter 1 John says that um, God became flesh. In the message translation, I love how it says, God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Now, it's an awesome thing when you move into the neighborhood. It's a different thing when you walk through the neighborhood. When you move into the neighborhood, you know everybody on the street. Uh, you're serving the same food. You're eating the same food. You speak the same, same language. 
Uh, if you don't speak it, you learn how to speak it. I think about Isaac Lutz. Isaac is our country director in Cambodia for People for Care and Learning. He's a six foot two South Georgia sweet potato farmer, missionary that moved to Cambodia, moved into Takam village, a rural village in Cambodia, and he lived there with the people for nine months, never, didn't leave the village, and he learned how to speak Khmer. And with his southern drawl, he spoke fluently, he speaks fluently. Now it is interesting because Takam is kind of like the south, and so you, the Cambodians even have like, you know, redneck accents too, you know, and so that's what Isaac picked up. That is contextualization. You're impacted by your context. But when we syncretize the gospel, we materially change the gospel. If I go to Puerto Rico, I want to be able to speak Spanish. If I go to Japan, I want to be able to speak Japanese. And if I share the gospel in Japanese, people can understand me. But if I share the gospel in English, only the people who speak English will understand. Contextualizing the gospel simply means speaking the language of the culture, not being changed by the culture. So this is, this is the thing. Syncretism is when the culture changes the gospel. Now, I saw this firsthand. I grew up in South Florida, grew up in Miami, and all my friends, almost all my friends were Cuban. And um, I came face-to-face -face with a syncretized gospel that happened significantly in Cuba. It was when Catholicism interacted with, um, with voodoo, and in order to like cover for the spiritism and the mysticism, then the spirit worship the saints of the, the uh, magic that was being practiced, um, they were changed to Catholic saints so that they were able to continue, the people were able to continue to practice voodoo under the cover of Catholicism. It materially changed Catholicism. And then there were, uh, you know, there were Christian believe Catholic, Catholics who began to adopt and, and, and blend in so that the scripture, the gospel was not recognizable. It became another thing. Now for me, I didn't know all of that. What I knew is that every now and then I'd come to an intersection and then there's a, there's a dead chicken there. Or every now and then some Santeros, some, some Santerian priests would come to the church and they'd put chicken's feet all over the church property where they had cast some kind of spell on the church. Sometime driving along in you know, rural parts of the community, you would see a little candle burning and some kind of altar set up. And I knew I would go over to my friends and I would see, friend's house, and I would see these little shrines inside their house. I didn't understand what it was, but it was, it was Santeria. In fact, all over Miami and all over places where there are large Cuban populations, you will find in strip malls, retail, uh, strip malls, you will find botanicas. Now, as a kid, I thought that was like a florist. I thought that's where you went to buy flowers for your girlfriend. No, that's where you go to buy candles with San Lazaro, uh, the god of this world, or the patron saint of the leper, um, of the sick. And then I remember seeing my friends wear necklaces, and there was a little San Lazaro. Uh, I have a picture of 
um, one of these candles here. This is San Lazaro. He's always on crutches, and there's a couple dogs that are always with him. And this is a saint or a spirit. It's actually a spirit that would be shown, um, would, be, would be prayed to. Animals would be sacrificed. In fact, in the botanicas, oftentimes in the back, you would find animal sacrifice. And uh, it, was a, it was an interesting thing. As I began to learn, sometimes you'd see things. And plus, when people are casting spells on your dad's church, you're going, hey, that's kind of, that's kind of spooky, you know? This is syncretism. Now, that sounds pretty out there, right? That sounds like, ooh, man, we got to pray that away. You know, we got we to gotta be careful about that. While things like Santeria, um, while different practices have invaded the church when you think of like other religious practices, that is not the greatest threat to the gospel that we face as far as syncretism is concerned. In 2022, syncretism looks very, very different. And we're gonna look at Elijah and we're gonna look at Josiah to kind of give a historical picture of how that worked out and then we're gonna, we're gonna kind of land this plane. So we'll start with Elijah. Remember Elijah, Ahab and Jezebel? And Ahab was a wicked king, and Jezebel, I mean, you know, people get called, oh, you know, she's a Jezebel. That's, they got the Jezebel spirit, right? Have you, anybody ever heard that? I heard, I've heard that said about people just because they wore makeup by some people. I don't know if you, you ever come from kind of that, but I saw that. You know, somebody's real mouthy or rebellious, or they got a Jezebel spirit. That's where this, uh, that phrase comes from. And Jezebel was attacking the prophets of the Lord. The worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been so polluted and so attacked that it was no longer just okay to water it down by introducing other gods like Baal. But it had gone so far that even Jezebel was killing the prophets and that there was really no one in the nation who would stop it. So what had happened is that the, the church of the Old Testament, the, 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 of the Old Covenant, it was persecuted right there in its own, the confines of its own home. And idols to, to Baal and Asherah and all of these other, uh, Molech, were set up all over Israel. And it was common. In fact, even King Solomon had done this while he was, while he was king over Israel. There's compromise happening. You know what, that's, let me just say really quickly, that's how sin works. I just want you to know that. It doesn't start out with people sacrificing their children to the god Molech. It start, how, how we get caught up in bondage is we make a decision, we sin, we lie, we're tempted, we're drawn away by our flesh and by the enemy, and then we find ourselves doing something that didn't seem so bad, but it leads to one thing, and then another thing, and another thing. It's a you know, toehold, a foothold, and then the next thing you know, it's a stronghold. And this is how it works. I mean, Israel just didn't do this overnight, which is one of the reasons why this question is even being asked. How is it that we as believers have come to the place where Christians who go to church, walk in, hear the word of God, they pray, they put money in the offering, and then they go out and there's no difference between them and the rest of the world? 
the other six days of the week. How, how is this happening? Well, this is how it happens. The gospel and our faith is syncretized with the culture and little by little, the pot boils and the frog never even knows it happens until it's too late. And then the culture is gone. The nation is, the nation is lost. And so Elijah is down in this environment and, and Ahab and Jezebel are persecuting them. And at one point, Elijah says, he, he's kind of having a bad day. And he's looking, saying, I'm supposed to win this battle. Victory belongs to the Lord. Instead, he's saying, I'm the only prophet in the land that has not yet bowed my knee to Baal. That's a rough day. Anybody ever felt like that? Have any of you ever felt like, especially in this culture, that what is normal and what is good and what is righteous by the culture is being called evil and unrighteous? And the things that are evil and unrighteous now are being called good. And you feel peculiar. You feel like you're crazy. But I'm not crazy. Like somewhere along the line, we've made a decision to move this thing on down the road. What happened? Well, it didn't just happen. It's been going on for some time. Let me tell you, it's going on in your life right now. And, and that's why we have to always work at killing sin in us. We got to be on the attack against it. We got to be suspicious of our mind and our heart and our ambitions because they will betray us. Jesus never betrays us. So if we can continue to submit ourselves to the Lord, you know, he'll do a work on us. Our lives are described as living sacrifices. The problem with the living sacrifice is when it goes on the altar and then the fire gets turned up because you are a living sacrifice, you want to get off the altar. But we got to keep ourselves submitted to the Lord, keep our mind stayed on him and let the righteousness of God reign in our life. I mean, here's the situation that Elijah was in. Uh, by the way, he said he was the only one that hadn't bowed his knee a little bit. Not true. Not true. And let me tell you, we aren't the only church that loves Jesus. And you're not the only believer in this church that still loves Jesus. There is a remnant, there is a people, and they got Jesus, they got the power of the Holy Spirit, we got everything we need. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17, the Bible says, when Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Now, this is the prophet of the Lord. He had enjoyed respect. Let me tell you, pastoring in Miami, I didn't like to tell people I was a pastor because it was a negative for me. I told people I was a pastor in Mobile. I got a discount on a haircut. I was like, praise the Lord. God bless America, God bless Alabama, you know? We were having, we were having a, a family fest. We had the car show, the cars pull out and they're doing burnouts right in the middle of Moffat Road. I looked at, is somebody next to me and said, is this legal, do we have to have a permit for this? No, you don't have to, have, you, don't, you don't see the police blocking the road for us? I'm like, God bless America, God bless Mobile, you know, incredible. Somebody give God a hand for Mobile, right? I tell people, if you can't get to heaven, at least get to Mobile. I do want you to get to heaven, though, but man, Mobile's a great place. Elijah had been used to being respected for his ministry. And Ahab says, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? And I like what Elijah says. He was not taking lip off the king here. He said, I have made no trouble for Israel. Elijah replied, you and your family are the troublemakers. Bam. 
what you gonna do with that? You know, I mean, <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> he said, you, have, you are the troublemakers for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshiped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal. Oh, we go on, you know this story, right? Where the fire consumes the altar. Remember, remember the prophets of Baal are out there, they're screaming and yelling, it was a showdown. It was a showdown. And, and they started cutting themselves out there and, and in the Bible, Elijah said, what's wrong? Maybe God, maybe God, he just can't hear you. Maybe he is using the restroom. Is what it says in the Bible. Maybe he's, maybe he's, you know, off handling some of his business, and he's just not available for you. You know, and they, these people are killing themselves out there. And then, of course, we know that God calls on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and fire from heaven consumes that sacrifice. And it's encouragement to me. And I just, this is not really a part of the main point, but listen. For those of you that are asking this question, and, and I, you cannot watch TV today and wonder what in the world is going on right now. What is up with this new Disney movie? You, you know what I'm talking, I can't even remember the whole name of it, but it's, a, it, it's about this kid that had dedicated their life to Satan. I mean, this is, this is Disney. This is Disney, it's crazy stuff. You're going, what is going on? What in the world is going on? Listen, chill out. Chill out, because they can have the prophets of Baal all over the place, but all it takes is one God and one man who will not bow their knee to Baal, and God will consume the sacrifice. He'll make it all right. He's gonna make it all right. Get your eyes off of what's wrong and get your eyes on who's right. His name is... Jesus. Now, anyway, they dance around and in, uh, well, I can't see what verse. It's a little bit uh, further down here. He's, Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. This is where we are in this moment right now. Everybody is at a crossroads, crossroad. What are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? Listen, some of the things that we are being taught right now as truth does not work. It doesn't work. Mm. No, I, I don't want to go ahead. I need to focus. But I want to get on a rant because there's so many things that we're telling people. It's about rebellion, it's about their identity, it's about their future, it's about work, it's about all these things. And if you do these things, you will be lonely, you will be miserable, you will have emotional problems, you will die. You will die. Listen, the way of the Lord is good. It's not just that we're to obey God because he's God, but we should listen to him because he is a good father who wants best for his children. That's all I'm gonna say about that, okay? I'm gonna keep moving. Look, at the end of the day, here's what Elijah was saying, and this is what you need to understand today, is that you cannot serve more than one God. Say that with me. You cannot serve more than one God. Now, here's Josiah. Josiah was a boy king, and when I say boy, I'm talking like single-digit king. That's a young kid. 
he rediscovers the word of God in the temple. It was rolled up in the back room in a storage closet next to a, a folding ladder. I mean, it was, they had forgotten about it. There's idols and altars all over Israel. And when he finds it, he repents and he leads Israel into a season of revival and repentance. It was an incredible thing to see what he had done. It's a great picture for how revival takes place. I mentioned a little earlier that the original question addressed specifically addressed things like abortion, human identity, uh, drunkenness, all kinds of relational situations, divorce, um, a, lot of, a lot of things, a lot of things. It's Josiah's story that brings the theological idea of syncretism right into a head-on collision with some of the cultural issues that we're facing today. I want to, I want to share this passage with you here in just a second, but before we get into that, I want you to see the path to how we compromise. It's personal, then it's social, then it's spiritual. That's a pathway. Say it with me, personal, social, spiritual. One more time, personal, social, spiritual. Here's how it happens. A personal exposure opens the door to social acceptance. And social acceptance leads us to spiritual compromise. Things that we thought we would never do, once it becomes acceptable, we found ourselves exposed to it, we liked the people that did it. You know, sometimes all it takes is for a person with great charisma and popularity to compromise to cause whole groups of people to go away. That's why we should be very careful in who our leaders are. And that's why our leaders are under scrutiny. They should be under scrutiny. It's, it's not just a little failure. It's a failure that can shipwreck many people. In fact, we'll be starting that series pretty soon, how to avoid a shipwreck. But it's an amazing thing to see the progress, how this goes. Here, here's how it works. People that you love compromise their life. They kind of accept the sin and theological affirmations of the pop culture. And in order to demonstrate acceptance, then there's agree, agreement with a new theology, a new doctrine, a new way of life, a new thought pattern. And it isn't something that's born out of a theological position, but it's born out of a relational connection. And, and it's real simple. It's just like if the people you hang around with, have you noticed that you pick up their language? Have you noticed that? You, you, you walk like them, you start wearing the same clothes as they do. Have you ever noticed that one person will wear a, it, okay, it's like Pastor Chad wore some sneakers one time to preach in, right? You know what I'm saying? And then some people, I don't, but some people will start wearing sneakers like Pastor Chad did. It just, it's what kind of, it just kind of happens. Love you, Pastor Chad. It's a, it's a lie that we bought into that says that in order to accept someone and love someone, that we have to agree with the person that we love. But let me tell you, it's a, it's a, it's a two-way street. And, and so let me say this, if you love me, 
then you're not gonna be mad at me for believing what the Bible says. I can still love you and we can still disagree, right? If the only way you can be in relationship with people is to agree all the time, listen, you are going to be a very lonely person or you are gonna be a person with no core values. It's gonna be one of those two. And, and I just wanna say, this is kind of the way that it comes to us. It's a lie. Listen, we can have people that love Jesus in our life and we can have people that don't love Jesus in our life. We can have people that love Jesus but are struggling and we can have people that, that seem like they're doing good but don't love Jesus. We can have people that have fallen into traps and we can still love them and we can still be in relationship with them, right? But in order for us to maintain a relationship with the Lord, what we cannot do is we cannot deny God in order to affirm a lie. This is syncretism. And every single one of us in here are gonna struggle with it. Listen, let me just say this. With all the political correctness that's going on in the world, you be the you that God has called you to be. Don't be unnecessarily offensive, do not do that. Right, don't just say whatever comes to your mind, but don't for a second dumb down the awesome that you are in Christ Jesus so that you can get somebody that doesn't like you to start with to affirm you. Listen, if you're gonna have one person affirm you in the world, you better make sure it's Jesus. Uh, let, let, me just, let me just move on. So at the end of the day, why do some people support some Christians support worldly things. Let me just say, you cannot be a Christian and engage in worshiping other gods. You just can't do it. You can't do it. You cannot be a Christian and be a racist. Do you hear me? We, we cannot love God and hate our fellow man. We cannot be a Christian and be, in, be having affairs on our spouse. We cannot be a thief and be a Christian. Pastor, that, that sounds really rough. What about grace? Listen, the Bible says that there will be no thieves in heaven. There will be no adulterers in heaven. There's a lot of things. All of these things, there's a big long list of things right there. Listen, there is no such thing as a gay Christian. Now, let me tell you what, every one of us in this house is a sinner and broken without Jesus. And you will not be saved because you're so good. You will only be saved because he's good, because Jesus is good. Every single sin we bring to the feet of Jesus. And God help us, because there are things that I struggle with that you don't struggle with, and there are things that you struggle with that I don't struggle with. But Lord, won't you help all of us just to keep bringing all that to the Lord? Listen. Can, I'm just gonna be real straight with you. Is it okay if I do that? Give me some room, okay? Just give me a little room. I always feel a little tight when I'm doing this stuff. 
And lately it feels more than ever. I just, the last two years have been tough. Listen to me. You cannot be having abortions and be a Christian. You cannot be paying for abortions and be a Christian. You cannot be performing abortions and be a, be a Christian. You can't promote this stuff. Pastor, you know there are a lot of people in this room that have had abortions. You better believe it. And all of us are in just the right place. And let me tell you, there is nothing in your past that's too heavy for Jesus. In fact, the Bible says this. Let me just say, is there anybody in here that without Jesus, you'd be splitting hell wide open? Is there anybody? Just go ahead and raise your hand. I just, I just want you to see that you're in good company here today. But for those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus, the Bible says that God buries that stuff. He removes it as far as the east is from the west. That's a long ways. The Bible also says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So those things that you have done, that needle that you put in your arm, that money that you've stolen, that person that you ripped off, that lie that you told, those thoughts, you're like, I manage my behavior really good. Yes, but those thoughts that you have when no one can, where no one can hear, all of those things. Listen, if you submitted yourself to the Lord, God has removed that, he has forgiven you, and you are as right as Billy Graham. <laughs> you're made right with Jesus. You're just as saved as the Apostle Paul. And I'll tell you what, that's really good news for me. Paul says, some of you were these very people. So what do we do about this stuff? Because it is settled that we put the funk in dysfunction. It is settled that we are broken. What do we do? Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 23. And I want you to see how close this lands to us. Josiah, the boy king, discovers the word of God. He reads the word of God. And like David, what he sees with his eyes affects his heart. And he says, I can't just know this. I got to do something with this. In fact, as I'm speaking right now, some of you, the Holy Spirit is convicting you about things that you have going on in your life, things that you have. Listen, I've, I've walked out of here before and found, you know, marijuana on the seats. People left it behind. I think that's, that's, praise the Lord for that. Just don't leave it in the kids' ministry. Don't leave it in the youth group. Bring it to the altar. Put it in the trash. Whatever. Flush it down the toilet. As long as it's not too big a bundle, you know. <laughs> I think the Holy Spirit's working on all of us here. We're saying, you know, I have some things in my life that have been the culture. My temptation has been, it's just come right along with the gospel. And I've just excused it. I've said it, it, can, it can be here. This idol, it's not Baal, but it's some other idol. Listen to what Josiah does. Verse 10. Then the king defiled the altar. See, he saw this stuff. He saw everything that was opposing the word of God. And he said, no, I'm not just going to know something about it. But I myself am going to go bust up some of these altars. The king defiled the altar of Topheth in the valley of Ben-Himmon, so no one could ever again use it to sacrifice a son or daughter in the fire as an offering to Molech. I praise the Lord today 
that right across the street from the Planned Parenthood on downtowner, there is the Women's Resource Center that Marty Carell runs. And this last year, over 1,000 abortion-minded women changed their mind after going to Women's Resource Center and went ahead and had that baby. And Women's Resource Center came along. You, you did too. You helped fund this stuff with diapers and, and formula and, and counseling sessions and coaching and mentoring. Isn't that an awesome thing? That's a, one, that's a wonderful thing. Now, we can't go bust up that altar over there, but we sure can go across the street and set up an altar to the Lord that's sacred and holy and says that life is sacred and God knew us even before he formed us in our mother's womb. That's, that's an awesome thing. But Josiah tore this stuff down. In verse 12, the Bible says, Josiah tore down the altars that the kings of Judah had built on the palace roof above the upper room of Ahaz. The king destroyed the altars that Manasseh had built in the two courtyards of the Lord's temple. He smashed them to bits. I like that. And scattered the pieces in the Kidron Valley. If he had a helicopter, I think he would have dropped them out like that. The king also desecrated the pagan shrines east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, where, listen to this, King Solomon of Israel had built shrines for Ashtoreth, the detestable goddess of the Sidonians and for Chemosh, the detestable god of the Moabites, and for Molech, the vile god of the Ammonites. Vile because they were literally taking their baby children, putting them into a statue with hands that were heated up, and it would burn the children to death. Solomon did this, the son of King David. David, a man after God's own heart. How did that happen? Because the word of God was contextualized, was, was syncretized to the culture. The gods of the people of the land. And let me tell you, you better be careful who you're getting information from. You be, better be careful who your influencers are. Spend more time in the word of God, you know, than, than, and, and, and give more credence to the word of God than what you're getting from this culture. I like this. He doesn't just demolish it. Verse 14 says, he smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah, Asherah poles. Then he desecrated these places by scattering human bones over them. The king also tore down the altar of Bethel, the altar at Bethel, the pagan shrine that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had made when he caused Israel to sin. He burned down the shrine, listen to this, and ground it to dust. And he burned the Asherah pole. Young King Josiah approached the idols that Israel and even King Solomon had made and he ground them to dust. He didn't call them historical markers. He, he, he didn't say that these are antiques and these are, th he, he tore them down. He didn't say that the decision to sacrifice a child to a Molech was a decision only to be made between a woman and her physician. He didn't say that. He didn't say or justify being drunk as just blowing off some steam on the weekend. You know, he didn't explain away his racism by saying, well, that's just how I was raised. You know what I'm saying? He denounced it and he tore it down. He didn't make room for foul language and crude jokes as just hanging around with the fellas. You know what I'm saying? And he didn't agree with the latest pop cultural and and unscientific nonsense by saying that there are 68 genders on the gender spectrum. Instead, he said that we are who God says we are. Not what we want, but what the Bible says that we are. He 
he said to the people, he said, I have found the word of God and it has renewed my life and it will renew our nation. And here's what I would say to all of us. We need to get back on our knees and we need to get back in the word of God and we need to put our arms around our family and say, God created you and he purposed you. And this church is a church of destiny and we weren't, we're not gonna be corrupted by these high-minded ideologies. Instead, we're gonna keep it simple and we're gonna focus on Jesus and we're gonna give him everything that we have. One thing that I like is Josiah demonstrated that you can't reform an idol. You can't negotiate with the devil. You can only throw him out. We don't negotiate with spirits in the name of Jesus. We cast them out. We throw them out. Listen, there are some things that your kids are going through. There are some things that you are going through and you're doing everything that you know to do. And we ought to do those things. We ought to do counseling. We ought, we ought to read books. But listen, sometimes we got to lay hands on people and we got to pray. And we got to believe that God is going to do work. Here's what I'm just saying. Pathway Church, we're people. We're marked by Jesus Christ. We all look a little bit different. We all see the world a little bit different. We, we, we all talk a little different. But we've got one Lord We've got one faith. We've got one baptism. And we've been adopted into the family of God. And we are made one, not by all the little trinkets that the culture has to offer, but we're made one by our older brother, the only begotten son of the father. His name is Jesus. He's wonderful. He's our counselor. And he is the almighty God. And I'm so thankful that he is alive and he is at work in us today. What do we do? What do we do? Here's what the Bible says. It's what Paul says. I'll close with this. Paul says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. Now listen to this. We capture their rebellious thoughts or our rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So Pastor Cody, man, you step into student ministry with the boldness, the faith, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit with the same attitude as Josiah. And you tell our kids how to love Jesus and you challenge the football players and the cheerleaders and the geeks and the nerds and the math leets. <laughs> you teach them all that there is nobody and nothing better for them than Jesus Christ. I'm praying for a bunch of straight-edged, hardcore, Jesus-loving teenagers to overturn all these schools, to tell their friends all about Jesus. Small group leaders, when you pray, you better pray. There's nothing in this world that's better, and there is no solution for the problems that we all have, when we brought the culture, we've connected it to our faith. Let's ask God to turn over our altars and turn over our hearts today. Amen, bow your heads with me right now. With every head bowed, every eye closed, you say, Pastor, I can think of some things in my life, I need to throw them out. 
today. There's some things I need to do today. If that's you right where you are, just slip up your hand really quickly. All campuses, just awesome to see. It's wonderful. Listen, you are not alone. We got some things that we got to evict. And when we evict it, we make more room for Jesus. That's the plan. God, won't you do this work in our life today? We thank you. We love you. We bless you for that. We declare Jesus is our king. And every other God, every other idea is all a liar. Lord, you are true and you are good. And we're so grateful to you today. Father, for my friends here today that are asking you to bring renewal in their life, Father, forgive them, heal them, cleanse them, transform them. Father, I pray that you get a hold of our hearts and our minds, and Father, we would reflect your son, Jesus. We're so thankful today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this week's podcast. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all of our most recent episodes and visit pathwaychurch.us give. We'll see you next week.